Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 7, issue 329, Secret of Mana. You can play along with this podcast, well not this one, if you haven't played it already, although you could shoot off and play it and come back, that's fine. But if you want to play along with our upcoming shows, we continue our Resident Evil series with the prequel, Resident Evil Zero, which is available across multiple formats. After that, it's Sega's arcade classic, Daytona USA. Then we continue another series, our Final Fantasy series. A lot of Square uh, Square Enix as well love this summer. Uh, Final Fantasy V. Then some more Japanese, uh, well, more turn-based strategy, but with the Valkyria Chronicles, a much-requested show, both internally and externally, finally happening. And after that, uh, we check in with Housemark's Resogun, the PS4 launch title which is now nearly five years old. Head to canerince.com for the full schedule, at least up until the end of the year, when we'll announce another bunch of shows, if we can all still muster the energy to go another year. Sure we can. Uh, You can help us out with that, get the show a week earlier, and our console specials three months earlier. Currently we have a Mega Drive Genesis show out there. Earlier than non-subscribers, that is, you just need to put down a dollar a month, which is around 75p. It's under a euro for a whole month. Uh, you get all Sound of Play, all our Cane and Rinse podcasts, and you get that early stuff and an extra little bonus monthly cast with Jay and I. Patreon.com slash Rinse. Every dollar really does help uh, keep us doing what we like doing. PayPal as well. There's a PayPal button on the homepage if you don't want a monthly uh, amount going out of your account. Any one-off donations are gratefully received. If you think of it as a uh, a buskers with a hat, uh, that's all very nice too. Sound of Play is our other podcast I mentioned. It's uh, mainly about video games, music. We play music. It's a good time. We also talk about the games and uh, our opinions and feelings about the music of the games. Sound of Play. Subscribe, review, rate both podcasts wherever you get them. iTunes, Apple Podcasts or whatever other platform. And follow us on social media. Twitter, of course. Instagram, of course. Facebook, of course. Thank you. Now, joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 329 are Brian Edwards... Hello, hello. Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And Leah Haydu. Hiya. Okay, Secret of Mana. Yeah, so it's not actually called Secret of Mana, of course. It's a Japanese role-playing game. It has a different name, Seiken Densets. Uh, it's a series that started, uh, in fact, some years earlier. We're, we're doing this on roughly the 25th anniversary of the Japanese release of Seiken Densets 2, which is the game we know as Secret of Mana. Second Densets, by the way, translates almost directly as Legend of the Sacred Sword, or you can view that as uh, the word sacred could be holy, um, but either way, that's what it means. It's a, it's a classic sword-based uh, <laughs> title for, a, for a, a, an RPG series. This is, beyond that, your spoiler warning, uh, this game has a story. It's a whimsical one, shall we say. Uh, And in the case of the version that we've all played, it was a hastily translated one. And there are some limitations to that. Uh, Koichi Ishii, who had previously worked on the Final Fantasy games that we've already covered in this run, directed this one saying that he felt that Secret of Mana was more his game than the other projects he had worked on, such as the Final Fantasy series, uh, perhaps a more personal piece of work. 
Uh, but Nasir Gabelli or Gabelli uh, returns, the expert programmer who had already uh, put so much into those uh, earlier Final Fantasy games. Uh, the game features very heavily the art of Hiro Isono. Apologies if the pronunciation is poor there, but he is a Japanese artist and uh, well worth seeking out his art online, I would say. Uh, Hiromichi Tanaka is the writer and uh, composer is Hiroki Kikuta. We'll obviously talk about the music. Uh, the development, according to Tanaka, the game's battle system features mechanics that had first been considered for Final Fantasy IV. We talked about this in our Final Fantasy IV program. Similarly, unused features in Secret of Mana were appropriated by the Chrono Trigger team. Uh, Chrono Trigger, which we covered back in Kane and Rinse issue 166 three years ago more which like final fantasy 4 was in production at the same time square currently uh, concurrently making final fantasy 4 secret of mana and chrono trigger which seems like insanity uh, secret of mana was originally planned to be a launch title for the super nintendo entertainment system cd add-on but after the contract be between nintendo and sony to produce the add-on failed sony repurposed its work on the snes cd into the competing playstation console square adapted the game for the snes cartridge format the developers initially resisted continuing the project without the cd add-on believing that too much of the game would have to be cut but they were overruled by management. Uh, the game on cartridge came out in Japan August 1993, just about 25 years ago. Uh, there was a, an American version arrived just a couple of months later in, in uh, October. And in PAL territories, we waited for another year and a month before it arrived in 1994. That localization to English uh, was completed in an insane 30 days, weeks after the Japanese release. Uh, and uh, in fact, the North American localization was initially advertised as Final Fantasy Adventure 2 before they went with the Secret of Mana name. Uh, the translation was done hastily so that the game could be released in time for holidays in 1993, according to translator Ted Woolsey, who did uh, the vast majority of these uh, square Japanese to English translations at this point. A large portion of the game script was cut out in the English local localization due to space limitations. To display text on the main gameplay screen, the English translation English translation uses a fixed-width font, which limits the amount of space available to display text. Woolsey was unhappy that he had to trim conversations to their bare essentials, and he had so little time for translation, commenting that it nearly killed him. The script was difficult to translate as it was presented to Woolsey in disordered groups of text like shuffling a novel. Other localizations were done in German and French. Uh, in the original Japanese version... Uh, just uh, some trivia nuggets here. Kilroy, one of the bosses, has a chainsaw when you fight him the second time. In all the Western versions, he's just a recolored version of the first encounter. No chainsaws. Uh, and one localization element, and this is partly uh, uh, something that may have um, aged poorly as well. I mean, it would have been terrible at the time if I'd actually clocked what was going on. There's an enemy sprite called Tomato Man. Um, in the American version, but it actually uh, it struck me when playing this time that it's actually a horrible little racist caricature <laughs> of uh, of like an African native type. Um, and then even worse, just to cement the, the 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 horror of this, there's a version later in the game called Eggplant Man. Uh, Josh, I believe you spotted this uh, this little nugget as well. Yeah, um, 
<laughs> it's it's pretty bad. Um and I, I kind of respect the the localizers notices noticing it and trying their best to try and cover <laughs> it up. Because yeah. calling it like calling it tomato man, eggplant man, like Okay, I can almost see it. Like an, I can almost see what I you're going for. I did see a tomato man when I first played this uh, back and, and, in and I and I could to- I could totally I think I can understand that. Like I, I can see that as you know, especially in the nineties where, um, if I was a you know a younger kid playing this or just a you know teenager or what have you i think this would have passed me by as well totally passed me by. um and i think a lot of my you know immediate perception of it is just because of lots of conversations that are going on on the internet right now and i'm just hyper hyper aware of it so i i I don't blame anyone who missed it at the you know back in the day but now it's really obvious yeah, it's interesting in that I mean these uh, these sort of caricatures of uh, Africans uh, and or African Americans are quite prevalent in Japanese games, particularly going back. Uh, but even not that long ago, uh, there's a there's a backdrop which I think I've mentioned before in King of Fighters uh, eleven, I think it is, which uh, was it no thirteen, uh, which is absolutely gobsmacking, jaw jaw dropping yeah. stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a peculiar one. When I when I played this back in the day, I played it on a little portable color TV with, through uh, an RF lead, and I read Tomato Man and I saw Tomato Man. But playing it now on a forty nine inch telly with everything pixel sharp, I was like, oh, I see what that's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's a curious one. Um, I guess it's fortunate that uh, from a game preservation point of view that we you know that no one's either no one's picked up on this or no one's overly concerned about it and so the game still gets released on things like the SNES Classic Mini nobody at Nintendo went whoa <laughs> wait a minute um and the game could have been you know removed from the console and then you'd have to just load it on yourself like you do with all the other ROMs anyway but anyway uh an interesting I'd be, I'd be curious to see what these uh character models look like in the remake um, if they've changed them at that's, all to make them more plant-like. That's interesting. Well, we'll we'll come on to that. Sales-wise, according to Square Enix, as of quite some time ago, February 2004, Secret of Mana had shipped 1.83 million copies, with one and a half of those being shipped in Japan and 330k abroad, although Next Generation magazine actually challenged that, saying that the game sold over half a million in the US alone. Who knows? So it was a success, put it that way. But Brian, uh, I remember talking to you about Secret of Mana when you joined me for a sound of play some time ago. I think you picked a tune from it yes, uh, as one of the soundtracks that you love. But what's your actual history with the game Secret of Mana? So uh, we received a Super Nintendo for my brother. It would be my brother's 15th birthday and my 10th birthday. And my brother was very much just a kind of a sports uh, gamer. He played all the Tecmo sports titles and, and I was uh, the outlier to him in playing my um, my more role-playing centric games. And so I, we had a, we had a pretty small library. So the games that my parents got for me were Super Mario World and Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, which is obviously two fantastic games to get. And Not we had too a new shabby. Yes, absolutely. Um, and we had a new family, uh, move, move across the street from us. And, um, a young man moved in who ended up being one of my best friends throughout high school, came over, saw our, to, compared to his, our very, uh, a modest Super Nintendo game cartridge library and said, hold on, went home and basically brought me in the games that would define 
define kind of my 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 shape throughout uh, my Super Nintendo gaming. And one of those mm. games was Secret of Mana. He also brought over uh, Final Fantasy three slash six and um, uh, Chrono Trigger as well for me to wow. to play. Yeah, it was it was it was, <laughs> it was I kind of won the Heck lottery the moving across the street. No yeah. wonder he was your best friend. <laughs> Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> Hated the kid, exactly. just loved yeah. his games collection. Exactly. He had, so he moved in and um, he came over one time. We I lived near Buffalo, New York. We had a, a string of snow days from school, as we called them. Oh, my God. And, it's too uh, magical. It is. It really is. And he, he came over and we ended up playing um, the entirety of Secret of Mana over the course of uh, three or four days, uh, completely oh, in co-op. Um, beautiful. Right next to each other on the couch. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. Uh, honestly... Um, no hi- no hyperbolic speaking. Uh, he, it's one of my favorite gaming experiences I can remember. So yeah. um, I had, and I've played a number of times over the years. Um, uh, basically, anytime it was, uh, anytime I, I got an opportunity to to fire up the the SNES, get out of the box, is one of the first games I play. So um, yeah, started then, and I've probably completed it a handful of times over the year. Nice, and this is why context is so important because uh, Leah, I think your history with the game is quite different to that. It is, yes. I, uh, I I've mentioned uh, previously in this podcast and on other podcasts as well that I didn't have a, a Super Nintendo uh, growing up. I um, I actually didn't have a Nintendo console at all until the N sixty four actually, um, and I. Thus, did not play uh, Secret of Mana or uh, several other kind of key RPG titles that would have been out on that on that console until much later on. Yeah. And um, this specifically, uh, Secret of Mana, I did not actually play until uh, just before this podcast on my Super Nintendo Classic system, uh, which I got for Christmas from my best friend. So, um, yeah, this is a, a new thing to me. I, I really actually kind of wanted to, I, I wish I'd had time, and I think that I might still go back and try this, uh, to go back and try the remake, which I've heard some kind of questionable things about. But, um, mm. yeah, I, I know we're going we're gonna to talk about that. But uh, it, it did make me curious. Uh, but, yes, this has been my first uh, experience with the game overall. And... Um, I I think that I'm going to have a different viewpoint than most of you. It's a little like uh, the scenario in reverse that we've had with some of the Final Fantasy yeah, games I think, to an I extent think so. where I'm coming to them now and you have fond memories, certainly of not all of them, but of, of some of them. So uh, I think this is, yeah, this is exactly why we always uh, go so big on, on this aspect of things because no doubt, uh, particularly Brian and my experiences will, certainly be colored uh even though you know obviously we we try to uh, bear in mind how others might experience it but we have that different viewpoint my my experience with secret of mana was as i said i don't think i'd played a jrpg beyond a few moments of fantasy star 2 with a friend on the mega drive some years earlier um secret of mana i don't really know i think it was really it was just one of the first ones that appealed to me that arrived in shops over here we did we hadn't really had lots of them launched up to this point and i think it reviewed well it looked wonderful in screenshots and so i you know took a punt on it i remember it being 25 pounds i remember to this day uh, i managed to get a, a swap for a, a straight swap for another game that i had 
Um, I remember it being in this most battered box. It 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 looked like the the cart was fine, the manual was fine, the the map was fine, but the outer box, the cardboard box, looked like it had been you know sat on, torn apart a bit, and um, I couldn't tell that was because the previous owners had loved it or hated it. But uh, but either way, took it home. Uh, my then girlfriend had actually gone to to grab it for me from from this secondhand store in town. Uh, we started playing it together, but not two-player for some reason we had two controllers uh, but not a multi-tap but I remember we just uh, you know we were kind of sharing the experience and probably uh, passing the controller from time to time um, I remember we named the characters together the only one I can remember is that we called the sprite chubba dubs but uh, but it it uh, it only fit a certain number of characters so it became known as chubbad um, and that for some reason has stuck with me then what happened was over time we were working kind of opposite shifts so playing it together kind of broke apart and in the end um she was playing sessions while i'd be at work and then i'd be playing sessions while she was at work and she ended up getting way far ahead of me because i was probably playing more different things whereas she was really focusing and it came to a point where i was like you know where have you got up to and no spoilers and you know this kind of thing um and there was a point I do want to. Uh, I want to stress this. There was a point where my nostalgia for this game was so strong that it could make me like physically ache by thinking about it. Um, like, but this was probably about six, eight, ten years after I played it. We're now many more years further on, and that level of nostalgia has actually died down a little. So I'm not quite so kind of smitten and besotted, like almost kind of overwhelmed with emotion for it in the way that I was so at least I have that um, I think I, I had nostalgia peak at some stage in in the in the past but um, I went back and played it when it first came out on Wii Virtual Console in 2008 uh, which was the the PAL version I played I, I guess about four to eight hours of that version and uh, and enjoyed it but then got distracted by other things uh, and so this playthrough was the first time I played the NTSC version on my SNES Classic Mini, which right, my mum got it for me for my birthday. And so I had it the day before I was due to start playing it for this podcast. So that all worked out very nicely. And I played it over 25 hours over the next uh, few weeks and completed it again the other night. Uh, Josh, how about you? So I was uh, three years old when the original yes. game came out. <laughs> So, yeah, my experience with this is limited. You know, playing this for the uh, for the podcast was the, the first time I'd really played it at all. Um, and, um, yeah, but it was always one that I wanted to check off my list. Um, so I ended up, um, I have to admit um, that I played this through on emulator. I did not use a... a proper version of this game so apologies to those of you who don't like emulation but uh it was well effectively i did as well because i played it on the snes classic which is an emulator so. uh, well uh, true, true enough let's say illegally emulated then <laughs> um but um but that that doing that allowed me to um we'll get into this later but it allowed me to play it uh, in co-op um with my partner cat um, which I, I have to say, like I have, we'll get into my you know more broad opinions on the game um, uh, in a bit, but um, playing this in co-op was um, re- you know genuinely really really pleasant and a lot of fun. Mm. Um, so yeah, um, I completed it today. So scenario and setting wise, again, I went into this game having 
not played a JRPG before, so I wasn't aware of all the tropes and cliches that were already well established by this point. Uh, maybe not quite so well established, because I guess what we were six years on from Final Fantasy One at this point, and only three or four games. So, uh, so the you know the the little boy being banished from the village and all that sort of thing, and the uh, the the uh, sort of energy that ties the world together and the uh, the power of a sword and a flying warship and all this stuff that makes up Secret of Mana um, was... Uh, I, I sort of recognised it from bits of uh, anime and stuff that I'd seen and obviously from classic myths and legends, but it's basically, it's a fairy tale. And in the case of the Western translation by Ted Woolsey, because he's had to rip out so much text, it, it really is the most basic telling you can imagine but actually going back to it um i was i was charmed at the time almost because it was so simple it was just this childlike fairy tale with all this whimsy and i'm not actually sure i would prefer it if it had all the layers layered back in i don't know um but uh and again context being so important uh i don't know i can't say but i still find this very simple whimsical story uh completely um, effective in its very basic way of of motivating you through the story but in terms of character development and all that sort of thing uh well forget it basically <laughs> uh, what did, brian you you go back slightly further so uh and you were probably younger than me when you first played it so uh was it was it the story part of what charmed you or was it all about the graphics and the gameplay and the music i think it was it was definitely uh, the the combination of all those things helped, but the story appealed to me. Um, and and in thinking about it recently, uh, not just in preparation for this, and just thinking about the game, the, the story has a to use an over overused phrase, an elegant simplicity to it. A lot of that is because of the translation, but um, there's not a lot of uh, beating around the bush. They get to the point very quickly. <laughs> no, that's true <laughs> with, yeah. a, with a lot of these things. And um, but I, I do find, and I, I mean, we'll get to this when we come to the characters, but I, I find the, the, the main story, the through line, to be fairly compelling. But I, I do find the, the storyline for uh, Prim and for Papoy, is that how we say that? Yeah, I, uh, yeah Papoy. Um, I find their individual storylines to be pretty, um, pretty you know, captivating. I definitely wanted to see their individual stories through to the end. And, and the hero being along for that ride, Randy kind of going through uh, what he was going through too, which is that figure out who he was, where he came from. It all still, I think, stays together pretty nicely today. Uh, it doesn't, it's not aged out to the point of being silly or just another trope. It definitely uses those tropes, but I think it still has, it has a significant amount of substance for, for what little is there. So Josh and Leah, I know you often come to games in particular uh, and, and JRPGs looking for uh, some, you know, something more to get your teeth into story-wise. Uh, and I guess you probably didn't find that here. I, I, I've been trying to kind of think of what it was that put me off about uh, this part of the game. And I thought that it might have been that kind of lack of depth to begin with. But I, I think where I take issue is with the elegant part of that elegant simplicity. It just feels so awkward to me. Uh, and and I understand why the localization is as, to me, rough as it is, mm -hmm. um, given the the massive constraints that, uh, that Ted Wolsey was working with. But 
I, I think that's really part of what throws me off about this game is it doesn't feel very well realized in the way that it's told. The dialogue between the characters just feels kind of chunky and like it, it doesn't feel like the way people would speak to each other. No, uh, right. And and I know that it's not just that, oh, you know, you, you, it would be very easy to say, oh, well, it's a bad localization job and that's that's just kind of all there is to it. But Ted Wolsey also did Chrono Trigger. He also did Final Fantasy VI. Like he, not in 30 days, possibly. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going <laughs> to say. I mean, he is, he is very capable, but this particular job was just it had so many things that were kind of oppressive about it, it seems. And I'm, I'm actually very interested in the process of localization. I've looked into it in, in some, uh, in a couple of different ways, but um, the first impressions for me were colored by that. And having seen so many other jobs, I mean, you're not necessarily thinking when you're going through this, oh, well, he only, I should give this a pass because he only had 30 days. You're, you're putting it against things that came out around, around the same time. Uh, yeah. And I kept thinking of Chrono Trigger just because it, 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 you know, a lot of the things about the gameplay are similar, are, are similar, which, you know, we'll get to. But it, when you have those things in your head already, it makes it very difficult to kind of keep the restrictions in mind, even though they are definitely there. Chrono Trigger since had its translation sort of tidied up as well. I know yeah, there were sure. an, an, an improved upon, shall we say. I think there were some critics of, of some of Woolsey's work, even, you know, his stronger work at the time. Um, but I, I again, this is going to sound like apologism and I apologize <laughs> for being an apologist. Um, but genuinely, back in back in 1990, late 94, when I started playing this, um, that sort of clunkiness was actually part of the charm it was it's it was somehow endearing and in fact it it led me on to starting as well as enjoying the game it led me on to try all these other uh jrpgs that came in in its wake uh things like soleil on the mega drive and and things like this and um i actually find yeah i, I definitely found that sort of that slight awkwardness and unnaturalness m more enjoyable than a really kind of earnest uh, kind of um, localization that was sort of hinted at deeper themes without ever actually exploring them properly. And also, I suppose this also speaks to the fact that I'm not somebody generally who goes to games for reams of story or text or or themes in that way. I've very much always been somebody who, as much as I love, you know, I, I, I like good writing and I like good films with, with strong characters and stories. I've always been, from, from a game's point of view, I'm very much about just being in them. And so actually that immediacy that Brian was talking about, the fact that everything's just to the point, like, go here, do this. This girl loves this guy. Um, it's like, okay, I can get on board with that. Just put me in a forest and give me a sword and some magic spells and I'm happy. So I've raised you since you were a baby, but nope, now you're banished. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, 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 I largely agree with Leah, I'm sorry to say. For me, um, the part that really stands out for me, you, we were talking about how um, the dialogue was reduced to the bare minimum and what mm. that makes me think, and this is my biggest problem with the, the narrative, is that setting up of characters or events um, before they actually appear in the game like before characters appear in front of you or um major events ha uh, you know actually occur th there's no setup like characters just appear they're significant 
oh god let's deal with them and there's just it it doesn't feel like there's like that smooth build up toward, towards those characters like i'm thinking of um look final fantasy 7 does not have a good localization. I am not blind to the problems of the localization, but yeah. they spend a lot of time um, setting up Sephiroth before you even meet the guy. Mm-hmm. There's just so much dialogue that's about Sephiroth. Oh, he's oh, he's so badass. Oh, Sephiroth. And then when you finally meet him, that moment has impact. Whereas there's, I, I've, I've completely blanked. This is how memorable the bad guy in, in the game is. Thanatos, yeah. The, like it feels like when he's introduced into the plot, like that's the moment when he's significant. Like, it's a bit like the no... end of Final Fantasy IV with the Moon Monster that we talked about. Which, uh, fair, fair I've enough. Just, just spoiled a game that we talked about a month ago, but uh... <laughs> that's that 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 is fair. Um, but I'm not I saying like... that that doesn't make it okay. I'm just saying that that's probably yeah, where yeah. Square was with its writing at this point. I just feel like Secret of Manor is like that with every single character and every mm. single plot important moment. They're they're just only ever they're only ever important once they appear, and then suddenly they're the most important thing. Yeah. Um, the other uh, the other sort of element that I think is quite notorious about this game um, is the fact that it's revealed very very late in the game, right before the kind of final showdown, uh, that um, your mum is a tree. She is, in fact, <laughs> she's the tree. As a matter of fact, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I still I'm still slightly bemused by that that revelation you have to be to be the hero in these games uh, or in, in in these i guess in these monomyth type stories although this is actually about a trio of characters um there is normally traditionally some kind of uh, spiritual link or um you know set of circumstances uh, that will come together uh, that are of you know, inordinate cosmic significance, and the the reason that you're playing this game and playing as this character, this protagonist, is because of that importance. We we've often, I think, talked before about how refreshing it can be sometimes when you you play a character who isn't that person, um, who you know, and and actually when when they impose that level of importance on somebody, um, it can actually detract from your immersion your empathy i think it's what uh dare dare i dare i invoke this but i think it's what ryan johnson was going for with uh with ray in in the most recent main star wars film was the idea that actually it's much you know if you make it another kind of you know basically another jesus then where's your where's your in for the regular regular folks um but in this game you are yeah you are another incarnation of the most important being um and i've still never really really quite understood actually what happens at the end there's the mana beast which is kind of like your friendly dragon flammy but it isn't and it can it's the only thing that can save the world but you have to stop it from smashing everything the mana fortress apart in its rage but it's the mana fortress that's got the is got the bad motivation um can anyone help me out here i i feel like this is another victim of um the bad localization because i i I can see it working like because the 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 mana beast the way they explain it is kind of similar-ish to the sorry i'm bringing up final fantasy 7 again but it's similar-ish to the the weapons in oh uh, weapons 
the weapons in in that game where they are created by the planet to defend it or but like in the, defending the Godzilla it, they, type scenario yeah 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 it, it's but yeah it's just it, there's a lot of collateral damage in their wake um and if if that if they'd made that a bit clearer like yeah he wants to save the planet but um because he doesn't really know how to control his power he may accidentally destroy it if they made that a little bit clearer that would have been fine but mm-hmm. as it is it's just kind of it feel it feels like confused motivation it's both saving the planet and destroy uh, what wait well, i don't i don't understand it's the final boss kill it yeah <laughs> kill it um but yeah i just you know talking about the plot again i do want to bring up a positive cuz i feel like when I was complaining about it before, um, I was coming off as if I didn't like some of the simplicity and the whimsy of this. Mm-hmm. I actually think um, the the whimsy and the kind of more lighthearted nature of this game is absolutely a point in its favour and something that yeah. makes it stand apart from Final Fantasy and even yeah. Chrono Trigger, which I think Chrono Trigger is lighter than Final Fantasy normally Somewhere is. Somewhere between but, the two, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and like stuff like the tree, which we've already mentioned, and all of that stuff, I actually really like it. Like I, I think it's surreal and fairy tale like yeah. that he would be born from a tree. Quite Ghibli esque. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. It's it kind of it feels Ghibli esque. It feels like a a you know more, more Totoro end of the spectrum uh, Ghibli rather than Princess yeah. Mononoke. Um, but like yeah, like I love that stuff and and all the like you know the dwarf village and yeah. um, just the the little tri- like Santas in this game like that stuff. I love it. I think that's great, and I'm yeah. I'm glad that a jrpg exists that has this kind of tone Mm. that my issue is simply that i wish there was more detail not Mm. that i want it to be verbose and i want it to be you know final fantasy six yeah i don't need it to be self-serious i don't need it to be um, melodramatic i just need a little bit more to uh hang you know i just need a more fleshing out of ideas so i have a better sense of motivations and a better sense of who all these people are well, I suppose talking about the the, the fanciful nature, the whimsy, the tone, uh, it actually naturally brings us on to the look of the game, which is, uh, along with the sound of it, which obviously we'll come on to, is uh, probably the thing that stayed with me uh, the most. Um, my initial impressions of playing it were just immediately just the colours, the colours of this place, this you know, vivid, vibrant greens and yellows and purples, blues and reds. And you go to these places of um, such, yeah, such light fantasy, Um, you know, rustling grass in the wind. Bear in mind as well, this is before I'd even played Link to the Past, even though Link to the Past was actually an older game than this. Um, Places like the the forest uh, where it's frosty, where the trees are actually kind of shimmering and and, um, the use of, of... 2d sprite art in this game i still think I've, I've been playing it this last few weeks on uh on a stupidly large screen for such a game uh, whereas i played it back in the day on a little little old portable cathode ray tube uh, it looked amazing then but it still looks absolutely beautiful to me now um the uh the mysterious forest with the sort of weird uh, translucent effects going over it um the uh the desert that 
all these wonderfully bright locations um and yeah just so many like the 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 crystal translucent sprite water and and all that stuff uh, i just found this game completely beguiling the 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 look of it from the off and i still think as as sprite art goes 16 bit era sprite art I, I, there's there's not much that makes me happier than this to be honest yeah we we've had some uh, some discussions recently about um about kind of uh, poly- polygonal uh, art as opposed to kind of sprite art and I, I'm glad that this falls into the sprite art category because I agree I think that it really does it, it holds up visually uh, I, I like how it looks a lot it kind of it kind of reminded me of Link to the Past in like just in the color palettes and just kind of the, the general overall look but I, I think that what what I keep, what I think of when I uh, when I kind of come back around to thinking about the visuals of this is uh, Leon. You mentioned uh, kind of the forest with all the the trees, and there there is one part where uh, you have to kind of solve a, a little bit of a puzzle with uh, kind of the seasons, and you're kind yeah. of walking around. And I just love the way that looks because you know you're walking through mm. these kind of um, uh, stands or uh, screens of of different. Uh, yeah. seasons in the trees and you've got, got pink it, yeah and there's gloss, just uh, this really pretty screen you know that's supposed to be kind of spring and it's got all these pink trees and you know you've got uh your, your uh, winter with uh, everything is ice and is you know kind of frozen over and I it just I thought that that really just it looks great uh compared to it's kind of peers and it, it looks great just on its own I I think that that part of it really is a strong point in to me I think that the uh, animations too for those uh, for the characters and for the enemies mm-hmm. are just they, at, at the time they were just they felt like they were f- from the future a little bit. You know, there were there was light years ahead of everything else. I just mm-hmm. the way the enemies kind of reacted and even um, the animations for the charging for your weapons, the way he would kind of do that three twirl sword in the air and the cut. It just looked a little bit better than everything else at the time. Um, mm-hmm. ha- having replayed it um, recently within within a little bit now. Um, I remember still thinking that out of that era of, of games that just it it stood a little bit ahead of everything else just um, uh, just with the the animations and the color palette and yeah. I, again I wrote down too the that upperland seasonal forest is just a I always mm. find myself going back to spring for no reason just to see that pink just that, you know, wall so of vivid yeah, yeah it's really it's really something special uh, Josh what did, what do you make of these these visuals. I mean, I largely agree with uh, what Leah and uh, Brian have already said. I, I think it, it's aged incredibly well. Um, I, I I think the use of color specifically is what pre- impressed me so much. There's one in, uh, just to mention an area that you two didn't mention, mm. um, like the Mushroom Kingdom. Oh, yeah. Um, when you're underground, there's something it's just a simple thing but the use of shadow um in that area um made me feel like a sense of scale like i i was actually in the undergrowth and mm. like amongst the mushrooms and the mm. fungi and it it was really effective like it, it yeah. just it continually sells a sense of place in a way that i find incredibly impressive for this era and just to um go back to a point that brian made i think like for me the thing that makes this stand ahead of something like Chrono Trigger and even Link to the Past is the movement of the characters because I think the the actual art direction um, is comparable to Chrono Trigger and uh, A Link to the Past. I think the art direction is about 
for me, just personally, when I'm thinking about it, is about equal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the movement, the way characters, it's just so smooth. Like the enemies, the way they animate, they look like cartoon characters rather than kind of like stiff puppets mm. that um, usually SNES um, enemy characters end up looking like. And there's not actually uh, that many frames of animation for anything. It's just the yeah. frames that they've chosen and the frames that they've drawn. I think. Yeah, it's just it's just really good um, pose design. I think it's just that they've they've picked a couple of frames and really exaggerated um, some of the facial expressions on the enemies, but I was also say, just your yeah. mo- your movement. Yeah. And it 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 sell like even though if you were to you know actually count the frames as you say it probably isn't as smooth as uh, as the uh, you know the illusion is making you think mm. it is but like it just it sells a momentum of movement with all of that stuff and i i was really impressed it's incredibly effective yeah you were saying about the facial expressions and uh, i was just thinking as well about uh, when you go to bed when you sleep overnight in 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 an inn in this game uh, rather than the whole screen fading to black uh, they've actually done a, p- a palette change so that it all goes to you know sort of deep midnight blues and you can see the faces of your characters sleeping uh, and you know your sprite character's got this big you know kind of open uh, snoring mouth um, which uh, yeah it's stuff like that which adds a lot of character with very little without them ever having to actually uh, I mean they, they converse with each other like two or three times throughout the game and uh, you know at the end they're all like what an amazing adventure we've all had together and oh my god you're not going to die are you and all this stuff it's like where did this all come from like I mean it's just you, you have to unlike in say Dragon Age Origins where they wandered around having all these interactions and conversations you know written by Bioware and expertly dis- deployed here you just have to kind of it's all in your head and I think again that's something that I, I sort of appeals to me um and the other thing i wanted to say actually sort of bringing it back slightly to to ted woolsey's translation uh and the whimsy of this game definitely goes into the enemy sprites Uh, away from uh the dodgy racist caricatures you've got things like little kind of duckies with army helmets on and various other you know ridiculous uh kind of situations um but they've nearly all got um a joke and nearly every monster enemy monster's name is a joke now I, I don't know if that i'm sure they're all called different things in the japanese versions but here he's gone for kind of silly puns for every monster and uh rabbit being the very first monster that you meet um being a bitey rabbit uh, which you get to make into a hat which is funny in itself where you, you buy a rabbit cap um but also mushroom you know it's a mushroom it's a mushroom that goes boom it's a mushroom um and uh mushroom gets whacked so you get a a little text box as well as a large red number appearing out of things when you hit them Um, I mean that's another part of the game that uh, the visual design that I really want to praise is the big red numbers coming out of things when you hit them is really I find the fact that the numbers get bigger the more damage you do is just another little compelling thing that actually uh, sort of keeps you keeps you wanting to to get better um, at hitting things <laughs> I, now I, mean. I i am a big fan of numbers getting bigger um which is why i like job systems so much but um yep, right i i will say that i only occasionally but uh in in some of the more hectic places would have appreciated it if the numbers that you do to the enemy were maybe a different color than the numbers that the enemy is doing to you 
Oh, okay. Yeah. It's mm. it's it's just a little thing, and it didn't bother me that much, and it didn't bother me most of the time. But um, I, I I really do like to see numbers popping off of things, and occasionally <laughs> I would I would get uh, a little bit conf- confused or uh, by that just point they just run things. out of colors. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we should talk about the technical side. I think aesthetically, there. Well, on the visual side, uh, we're we're all uh, in agreement uh, that it's a fine looking game. But the technical performance. Um, so. We know that the Super Nintendo was a machine which uh, certainly early in its life was plagued with slowdown and sprite flicker and things like that. We talked about Super R-Type uh, and the uh, Gradius 3 conversion having issues with this. Um, and uh, you can see it here that the game very deliberately and specifically limits you only ever to three enemy sprites on screen at one time. But even with that, slowdown is quite prevalent, more so on the NTSC version. When I used to play the PAL version, the slowdown was less because it, you were starting from a slower uh, slower start point. It's not something that you know especially bothers me. I kind of expect it in games of the era. There's it's interesting on the Mega, the recent Mega Drive collection that was released. They've actually uh, they've put a little button in the emulator that you can switch on which uh, disables sprite limits on screen so it can it can mess up your games but it can also potentially uh, improve their performance uh, i'd be interested to know what would happen if if mana did that, whether whether the the appearance of the third sprite is hard coded by by the code or whether it's actually the system you know just not allowing more on screen because it knows it will it will come to a crashing halt, um, but there are yeah there are some there are some technical issues um, as a result of the as we know that the hardware changed from the CD add-on to the the bog standard SNES. Several features had to be cut, and some uh, some completed uh, work needed to be redone, started over. Um, one of the uh, probably most significant changes was the removal of the option to actually take multiple routes through the game to lead to several possible different endings. Uh, and you end up uh, with a much more linear journey in the final game. Um, the original story actually had a darker tone. Um, but obviously, as we say, we'd be interested to read that. I don't know if it's out there somewhere, but I, I haven't found it. Um, yeah, Ishii estimated that up to 40% of the planned game was dropped to meet the space limitations. And uh, critics suggested that the hardware change led to technical issues uh, when too much happens at once in the game. But yeah, it is. it does technically uh, chug a bit at times, even in town sometimes when there's just people on screen because there's actually a, there's a dash button, but you can only dash in a straight line, of course, for some reason. Um, but you can even, even when you go to the main built-up areas, there's slowdown. Uh, was that an issue for those of you who recently come to the game more than it was for those of us who were kind of expecting it? I don't think so. Not, not especially. I, um, I, I, while I had not gotten into this game specifically, I had as I've mentioned, uh, been into some others that would be kind of comparable um, or, you know, roughly, uh, roughly peers of it. And I, mm. I don't mind, I, I don't mind the slowdown aspect as much. Uh, what I had more of an issue with uh, would have been kind of the, it's, it's very tough for me to say that I really didn't like the combat system because I like it in theory, and then in execution, I, I don't know whether it would be a technical problem or whether it was just a design thing, but I, mm. I have some issues with that. Mm. Um, but the, the slowdown specifically, I, I didn't really mind that much. I didn't feel it was that big of an issue. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty much the same as Leah. Uh, I didn't really have many issues with it at all. I don't know about you, Brian, but I don't think I even noticed 
back at the time or I, I guess I just maybe if I did notice it, it was just like yeah sure three sprites at a time do you remember being aware of that I, I remember being uh, kind of like you already said just expecting it from games of the era um, uh, the, the slowdown that kind of happened the, the way I just explained it to to myself yeah. when I was younger was just like oh there's just too much on the screen yeah. <laughs> just gotta wait gotta take care of some of these guys and I'll go back to normal um, <laughs> yeah, but right. uh but yeah, no, I don't remember it uh, particularly. Playing it again last year, I, I did notice it a little bit, but that's probably only just in contrast to the other games on modern consoles I was playing. Uh, before we talk about the soundtrack separately, I just want to talk about the the, the sound design, the sound effects, because uh, although the music is a huge part of the appeal of this game for me and always was and always is, and I know it is for Brian too, the sound design is, uh, is really crucial as well, um, particularly the sound of really hitting something hard and it bursting. <laughs> like I, I am so addicted to that noise um, that I think even with some of the problems around the combat system that we'll get into, the the lure of the sound that you get for really popping an enemy and and whacking one hard um, got me through all those all those tough times. Um, but also the sound of certain enemies uh, kind of dying in a kind of whoop whoop noise. Um, the sound of different spells. Uh, there's there's a lot of really fun sound effects in this game, which uh, which tie into the the yeah the slightly heightened cartoony uh, fanciful nature of the visuals um that i really appreciate there is an issue again there's a technical issue with because the music is so opulent uh you'll be there's a lot of um prioritization issues with different sounds cutting in and out but again i have the same kind of opinion about that as i do uh as the slowdown it's like yeah sure that's a limitation and actually it enables you to hear some of the some sort of little variate variations of the music that you wouldn't get otherwise which again i know sounds like a terribly apologistic thing to say but uh but there it is uh did anyone else enjoy the smushing sounds or <laughs> the the leveling up noises i think are absolutely cracking in this game really moorish just that 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 pop slap of just making an yeah. enemy just evaporate <laughs> just it feels satisfying every time it always seemed to when it when it, it seemed to like come more often i might just be making this up in my mind but when i would thrust the sword rather than swing it if mm. i would thrust the sword <laughs> i always felt like my my opportunity for that satisfaction just would go up and then um but a lot of the sound effects and and, and different things it's it just felt like a lot of care was taken to those little moments um, to make it make sure that those were uh, memorable sounds and, and and satisfying, especially like you said, the level up noises, the general combat sounds, even to the just the the thwang of the bow when the chabin hood just levels you for the fifteenth time in a row. Like even that is a satisfying <laughs> twang to it. Leah, Josh, sound effects. Any any of them stay with you like they they did for me and Brian? I I, I agree that they are satisfying, but I don't know that I've got a whole lot more to add beyond that. Yeah, same. Okay. Well, let's talk the soundtrack then. Uh, uh, listeners to our other podcast, Sound of Play, will know that we've played a few tunes from it over the years, but uh, there are two or three which I think are especially outstanding. But they're, going back, there are actually a few that I'd kind of forgotten how much I love because my memory of uh, Into the Thick of It uh, and some of the, the kind of the, the, the absolute standard classics was so strong that I'd kind of... Uh, even though I have the soundtrack and obviously I have access to it on YouTube and whatever, um, I'd kind of marginalised some of the pieces in my mind. Um, the 
the scary piece for Thanatos or the, you know, the kind of cultish music still genuinely chills me to the bone. It's like, even though it's in this really light, fluffy, fanciful game, um, that's, that's properly, uh, properly scary to me. Creepy music. Um, there's some really fun pieces, like, as you say, the dwarf village, when you bring the water back to Kakaro. Yeah. Uh, Brian, take over. I know you love this music too. Yeah, I'm going to do my best to be as brief as possible, but I, I could really talk about the soundtrack pretty much for as long as you would let me. I, this is one of the few games I vividly remember holding up a, uh, a cassette recorder to the TV to record the soundtrack so I could listen yeah. to later. I just think the work that was done composition-wise, I think that is underestimated in video games, is not just melody and finding something catchy and something that can be both fundamental to the experience but also allowed to be in the background so it doesn't take you out. That's a it's hard balance to strike. But the composition of these songs in this game is they're they're wildly complex and they're varied just from a just even a music composition standpoint from area to area he will the the, the composer will change time signatures and change entire instrument and sound sets with a limited sound with a limited sound range to work with on, on the SNES. And um, it's just so impressive to me. I, I still listen to this soundtrack on a regular basis. I have it on my, uh, one of the permanent fixtures on my phone as I'm going from place to place. And um, yeah, it really, it it, a lot of the, this entire experience to me is the soundtrack. So I don't think if the music wasn't, to the level that I that I believe this music is up to, I don't think I'd have uh, nearly as positive memories of the game with, without the music accompanying there. I just think it is one of the one of the greatest that that that, that video games have ever given us. So completely I, agree. Yeah, yeah, elevates elevates the whole experience for me. Yeah, yeah. and never a crisper uh, snare sound on a sixteen bit console <laughs> no. either. Um, there's even some unused tracks on the cartridge because I, I think I think the way it's done is. Uh, forgive me uh, technical people if this is idiotic but i think there's like a bunch of samples stored on the cartridge and then the the music is pieced together by accessing those in various sequences programmed um so that's how there's actually tons of music on this cartridge without it taking up you know insane amounts of of space uh so Josh, you like uh, you like some video game yeah. music and you've come to this much more recently um yeah. how did it strike you um, I, I I really love the soundtrack. I, I think the thing that struck me was um, I like the soundtrack most when it was more haunting and atmospheric, um, yeah. which is usually um, with JRPGs. That's usually the opposite. Like the the tracks that you know stay with me most in Final Fantasy and uh, Chrono Trigger uh, specifically are the more kind of uh, melody focused. Um, you know, really upbeat fast-paced tracks um whereas this um I, I think it's pandora the village that you go to where um everyone's uh kind of losing their minds mm. because of thanatos mm. and the music that plays there oh, yeah. is so creepy and haunting, haunting mm. and really really potent um, and yeah, throughout the entire game, like the the whole game is filled with tracks like that. I do want to bring up one negative, and yep. it's the sole negative point I have about the soundtrack. And it's not even an entire track; it's just one section <laughs> of one track. Um, the the boss battle theme. Oh, yeah, there's this really shrill yeah. bit that it opens with every single time yes. that I hate. Yeah. Once it gets going yeah. and it's just the normal 
theme. That's great. Love that. Yeah. But that shrill diddle it's just oh it drives me out the wall. Yeah, it's Every quite time annoying. I hear it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that for sure. Yeah. Um yes, the uh the temple music and oh I'll just yeah, just listing tracks is no good. Leah uh, <laughs> how did, how did you find the music to this game? Uh, uh yeah, I, I would um I, I would largely agree more with what Josh said, I think. Um I I I think that it fits well fits the most well when it is kind of describing the scene um and you know kind of backing that up uh effectively i i i I wasn't a huge fan of just the like the boss music or any of that but i really did like it when they kind of threw that part out the window for some of the very late boss fights and and brought in something different and something new there and um i i liked that a lot and um when when the music really fits with actually what is going on as it does most of the time i think um i i think that that's uh um where it shines for me uh, we've sort of mentioned the characters a little already. Um, just wanted to say that uh, they were not named in the original uh, NTSC Ted Woolsey translation or the European version. So um, you don't even get to find out. Whereas traditionally with the Final Fantasy games, they would have a name and you could... I can't remember which which number Final Fantasy you started. No, you name them from the start, don't you? You can change their names. And it's actually later in the series that you stop being able to rename them because they were they were settling on actual character names. But here, uh, you're just introduced and then you get to name yourself and your two companions if you want. Uh, they're actually canonically called Randy Prim or Prim and Popoyet. Uh, but... Uh, as I say, Chubba Dubs works, Ratso works, um, or in this case, I went for Hero, Girl, and Sprite, all caps. Um, <laughs> and what did you go for, Leah? Uh, bro, Bay, and Boy. <laughs> I had just finished God of War, you see. Uh, bro turned out to be a really great name for the hero, um, be- yeah. mostly because of one line, which is when you pick up the sprite, and he says something about uh, he calls you brother, and, and uh, the <laughs> the protagonist gets very offended and says, "Brother, my name is," and then whatever it is that you've named him. So it was brother. My name is Bro. So <laughs> I I got a big kick out of that. Because I was going to play this game in co-op with yeah. Kat, uh, I decided to name the main guy Josh. I called the girl uh, Kat. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were trying to decide what to call the sprite. And I just thought, oh, it's the... the look, this is not the best reasoning in the world, so forgive me. Like, I thought, oh, they have the kind of personality of somebody who takes selfies all the time so i was gonna call the sprite selfie but then i accidentally clicked the wrong letter and it ended up being called selfib which ended up actually being quite a good name this Um, is how fantasy's written yeah exactly and um, we took great joy every time selfib uh, got caught on the geometry or you know <laughs> the pathfinding just generally failed uh, me and Kat took great pleasure in shouting selfib come on hurry up we're trying to get we're trying to get to the palace hurry up and yeah that ended up being quite a effective comedy name if you play in multiplayer we'll talk about this some more but can you stab the select key to take control of an AI character like you can 
if you're yes, playing. Yes, you can. Yeah, yeah okay, you yeah. can. But it was more. It was more funny to chat. Yes, the well, definitely. Yeah. Uh, any um, any favourite names for your your party over the years, Brian? Or can you not even? Remember? Um, it, we, it was we always named them after pets. <laughs> so yeah, yeah different good. different random assortment of dog and cat names. Um, and, if you'd uh, ever I, sold your cartridge, you'd be one of those where you buy somebody buys your secondhand cartridge and they're going like, who's woof it or you know <laughs> yeah who's punky and why is he a spring <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, anything else to be said on the characters uh, the, their relationship with one another um i i suppose one thing i did want to say actually was um there's again this is probably a uh, an era of the game thing that probably wouldn't fly now although some people really think it should fly now because you know uh, SJWs are ruining gaming but um, one of the outfits for girl is uh, well more than one of the outfits for girl is a bikini um, and it's actually a bikini it's listed as a bikini it looks like a bikini it's the best armor in the game up to that point but it's a bikini um, so you know uh, well but your your characters don't actually change appearance no, when you equip things they do not. so it's just it kind doesn't of really there. matter yeah no. yes yeah it's not like you're going to get some jollies out of it uh, unless you know in your mind the fact that she's wearing a, an eight pixel bikini uh, but you can't actually see it is is doing something for you then well Listen, Leon, good luck kink, and godspeed don't, don't kink shame um, That's true. I, one thing I, I would like to mention because it made me laugh uh, quite. Uh, yeah, I, I laughed out loud at the time. Um, but when magic was being allocated to these characters, um, Kat immediately said, "Well, she's a girl, so she'll be the healer with uh, white yeah, magic." Right, Sprite. Um, they'll do black magic. Mm-hmm. Boy, something to do with enhancing his phallic object because <laughs> everything boys is to do with making their the the representation of their penis more powerful. And then the character immediately yep. said, "Yeah, you don't have any magic, but you'll be able to make your sword more powerful." Yeah, well, <laughs> I was just like, yeah. "Oh, okay, yeah, you're right." Specifically, the uh, the other characters will be able to enhance your sword. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> They both buff his sword at the end. Oh, God, Josh. (laughs) Yep, so that's how all that works. Well, that brings us naturally into that uh, real-time combat. So the big difference here was we've talked a lot about uh, our experiences of the earlier Final Fantasy games. We're up to four in that series, five next. Uh, They all, I guess, famously now, we can say, uh, you walk around in a dungeon and you can't see a monster until... A transition happens and then you are fighting monsters uh, in a lineup and it goes all the way back to the earliest days of JRPGs and, and even RPGs. Here they went for the enemies are on the screen and not only that, that there's no transition. Uh, you are fighting the whole time. So although it's still uh, stat driven and stat based, uh, if you swing a sword in the vicinity of an enemy, uh, you have a chance of hitting them depending on your stats and, and the enemy's stats. Uh, and yeah, I, I again, I genuinely wish there are some frustrations and I, and I think I'll, I'll, I'll let, uh, I'll let Leah and, and Josh handle these because I think, I think I know what, what they are. Um, I'm slightly inured to them as, as I was, as I was there at the time, but I, I wish, I wish more JRPGs adopted something similar to this with some refinements don't get me wrong but 
I find this so much more compelling than the transition screen and then the all line up and then pick a thing from a menu. And it's really ground me down in, in our Final Fantasy series. And here this was like, this is so much fun again. I can just hit things. Um, but yes, I, I accept that uh, there are some issues with it. The combat system is trying to combine, um, in my eyes, the combat system of A Link to the Past with traditional JRPGs. And for me, it fails to capture the strengths of either system. Um, I and I fully acknowledge that this is, you know, a subconscious thing, and it has been trained into me um, as part of, you know, just playing loads of JRPGs and action games. But when I swing a sword in an action game, and I actually do hit the target. My and if I'm playing anything in real time, my expectation is that it will hit the target and do some kind of damage. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not a critical hit. Maybe it's just a normal hit. What I have you. Yeah. But my the my brain thinks well the the sword landed on the thing, so it must hit the thing. Whereas if you take it over to a turn based system. Just from the years of playing, like I know when I pick the option to attack, it's a dice roll. I know that it's yeah. a dice roll. And when the character goes up to the enemy and the enemy dodges out of the way and I miss, that's fine. Like that doesn't frustrate me. It does frustrate me a great deal when I spend like six seconds charging up my sword <laughs> attack, um, pull off this amazing move, clearly hit every enemy, and there's just no damage. Yeah. And and it never and it never stopped annoying me throughout the entire game. It's it's somewhat it's alleviated somewhat when you're fighting lower level enemies and you've leveled up and your chances of hitting them just increases. Yeah. Um. Uh, in the background, and then you can just kind of storm through areas, and that's fine. But it it never felt like satisfying in the way that a link to the past felt where i felt like i had to play you know tactically right i need to get round the side cuz he's, he's he's got a shield up or something like that mm. but as long as i hit i've hit whereas here it really felt like well I I I got hit by the enemy there because of poor luck. Like I should have hit them. And what I would say to that is, and I do sort of agree, but it's actually if you're consistently not damaging enemies, it's a good sign that you're under leveled for the area you're in. True, but the, there are. I don't know. There, there there were some enemies in particular where it felt like they're very high um, evades. Yeah, Air, yeah airborne really, enemies in really, particular are very frustrating. Yeah, yeah totally agree. And the the other issue, sorry, Leah, I will let you speak nope, in a minute. I'm, but just, I'm agreeing with a lot of this, so you, you yeah. keep going. Um, but the, the the other thing that frustrated me is it felt like there was there were certain encounters, and the the specific one I'm thinking of is um, the two werewolves that you have to fight before uh, Prim joins your party. Very early, yeah. Um, very very early. I got caught in an animation loop where oh, yeah. it felt like <laughs> I could not get an attack in and I was yes. just getting knocked down, got back up again, knocked down again, got back up again, knocked down. Now, that's not a frequent occurrence throughout the entire game, but it happened like a couple more times, yeah, maybe yeah. three more times. It's worse early on, actually. It, it it tends to happen early, I guess, you know, game balance is slightly off in that regard. Uh, it, it, but no, it's yeah, maddening it, in any game. That's just never, it's unforgivable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, all I was thinking during those bits was, if this was turn-based, 
this wouldn't happen and i and i i get i get the appeal of having something more immediate and more um real time but for me the appeal of something like chrono trigger and final fantasy is having that time to think is having that time to go well he's weak to fire let's do that he's weak to physical let's do that and i have space and time to just consider the the opponents tactically whereas a lot of um uh, the encounters in secret of mana felt like panic scraps um and uh, what what tactics I did uh, develop were, um, you know, just like felt accidental sometimes. Boss battles are a different story. Um, I think boss battles have very clear weaknesses and you end up kind of going into a pattern and a rhythm with those guys. But when you have multiple enemies on screen, it, it really did feel like um, not very fun chaos a lot of the time for me. Hmm. Brian, care to counter? Actually, I'm going to agree with a lot of what Josh said. I I have a lot of fond memories of the combat system, and I and I and playing through it recently, I still do feel uh, a lot of nostalgia, positive nostalgia for that uh, for for the way that the combat happens in the game. I really still enjoy um, when you're playing co-op. You use the the grid in the menu to set your third player that isn't doing yeah. anything set them to a complete retreat <laughs> just so they don't get in the way of anything you're yeah. doing and um a lot of times i would do that in single player as well depending on the fight uh, or leveling up things like that but um the animation loop is one thing that i, I frustrated me then and still frustrates me now and with what josh was saying about getting knocked down and repeatedly knocked down by an enemy that's frustrating but what's also frustrating is that when you or one of your allies knocks down an enemy with one of your attacks when they're in that animation of being knocked down, they're invulnerable when that animation is taking place. And sometimes just with the way, like, you'll be lining up an attack, or specifically a charge attack, and you'll go to unleash it, and then one of your one of your allies will just, like, sneak in a quick spear hit for, for almost no damage, and then your your charge has been wasted. And yeah. I, I find that still um, very frustrating. Um, I I do like the, the way that the magic system works into the combat and how you're able to switch weapons on the fly as well. I think there's a lot to be said for it. I think it was probably the best that it maybe not could have been, but it was the certainly the best for its time. All I remember thinking when playing it to the opposite of Josh's reaction of, you know, why why can't Final Fantasy and Chrono Trigger be, be like this? Why can't I run yeah. up and hit the enemy, see them on screen as opposed to having them pop out of a bush? But but the the frustrations are still there and still very real for me when playing the game. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, but I, yeah, I still get more than enough out of the, the the positive elements the fact that it isn't um the fact that it isn't so staccato as uh as other jrpgs um and there's there is there is more depth in there than than you might initially think as well uh josh you were saying about different weapons having different effects well every there's eight weapons sword glove axe whip spear boomerang bow and javelin each of those has uh seven eight orbs uh and every upgrade of which uh every time you've collected some orbs you uh you take them to uh you take the weapons and the orbs to uh watts who appears everywhere rather like the uh, resident evil 4 salesman uh and you upgrade your weapons and uh and each each incarnation of each weapon has different attributes and uh and and factors to make it worth considering um and again depending 
we, we talked before about micromanagement in Final Fantasy. I think depending uh, more uh, on how much you're willing to kind of chop and change with the weapons and level the different characters up with the different weapons and micromanage that that background AI stuff about where they stand. Um, you know, so like having one with the bow, getting their bow skill good and having them stand back but be quite aggressive with attacking, things like that. There's There are ways you can, I think, um, get more out of it. And I certainly, uh, both times I've completed the game, I've, I've gone into some depth with that stuff without sort of ever maxing absolutely everything out. I, I'm not quite done with the combat. Um, I... I... <sighs> So I, I agree with what you're saying about about being able to kind of customize your party members. However, I think that the AI is not very good. Mm. Um, so no, it's not. Yeah. Uh, so the issue, I think that the issue that I have with the combat in general is that it isn't really real time. It is made to look like real time, but you are still. It's there's enough of a delay, and there's enough of kind of a a processing time sometimes that I, I'm pretty sure that this is just turn-based combat with a skin over it to look it's like... It's kind of like what they did, what Bioware did with Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, and, very uh, similar. And, I, I, yeah. and it just, it's not... I, I don't think that that's uh, a bad approach on its own. I, I don't think that, that that just by the nature of that being kind of what they did, I don't think that that's, uh, that that's necessarily bad, but I don't think that they always disguise it all that well um just the uh, you see this the most i would say when you are fighting in kind of close quarters with both of your other party members and maybe this would get better if if i had played some of it in co-op which Mm. was something that i unfortunately didn't get the chance to do but if I swing and then somebody else swings and then somebody else swings and there's just kind of a delay in between when I swing and seeing if I actually hit them and how much I hit them for, yeah. uh, it, it it kind of made it feel a little, it kind of made the combat drag a little bit for me in those kinds of encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also really do um, feel what Josh was saying about uh, about the frustrations with the with you know swinging at something and not always hitting it uh that that i think ties into the um into the 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 fact that it is kind of a disguised turn-based system as well because you Mm. know you're getting that dice roll behind the scenes still and it just looks like now you're not hitting it because they're anticipating you and jumping out of the way which essentially they are doing but it's it's just really frustrating sometimes um when you feel like you should be able to hit this rabbit on the ground and, you know, you, you aren't hitting the rabbit like, on the it's ground. Like, it's how I feel when I get that mist thing when you cast a spell in Final Fantasy. <laughs> yeah, like... no, and, 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 and I understand that. And it's, it's, you're getting the same result there. It's just, yeah. it, it, it looks different on the screen. And I, I just, it, it feels, I'm not even saying that this should be turn-based no, sure. Or I think that it, or I think that it would be better if it were. I don't necessarily. It needed more refinement. To yeah, be I think that I would just like is, to have yeah. seen it be kind of smoother and with my AI not being complete idiots most of the time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. One of the other things about the the combat is that it does feel slightly odd when you have this freedom of movement, movement, which is which is why it works for me. Ultimately, it's because I have freedom of movement and because I get to press a button and see the sword swing. Like regardless of all the problems, I'm not denying any of them or arguing with any of them particularly. 
It's the fact that I can just move and press a button when I want makes so much difference to my mind as to how frustrating I find something. What is weird, though, is that because it is really turn based, when somebody casts magic on you, they do cast magic on you. It's not that you like you can dodge it. So there's no there's no action or you know there's no there's no dodge roll kind of situation. So you're getting magicked on. But the flip side is that as with weapons you have eight of them eight different types some of which you get quite late in the game um and so a limited amount of time to level them up but i really like the all the different sets of magic in here it's different some i mean you know it's elemental and dark and light and and then you've got moon and wood at the end um but it it feels uh the spells are different to final fantasy so it just it just refreshed things in in that regard and there's some interesting um sort of uh moments like your 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 moon magic your lunar magic uh until you level it up is kind of a it's kind of an own goal mechanism you kind of do all kinds of crazy stupid things to yourself um moogling yourself and whatever and of course this was the first game where i'd encountered moogles i got moogled by one of those eye things and i was like i have no idea what a moogle is but it's really cute uh so that was this is from when i when i love moogles anyway but what i was trying to say is i i do enjoy the magic in this and exactly as josh was saying the fact that you can kind of spam certain effective spells and target everything very easily and quickly without diving into menus or transitions is uh, is something that I applaud and enjoy. Oh God, you they do cast wood on his sword. Both of them cast wood on his sword. God <laughs> I was just gonna say that. <laughs> I'm sorry to expose the secret like perversions and secret of mana. Um, That's the secret of mana, right? <laughs> this, that, <yep. laughs> yeah, this. <sighs> that was the um, secret all along. <laughs> a very special episode of Secret of Mana. <laughs> Um, I think I think for me the, the magic system is the the most effective part of the combat. Um, yeah. I really I struggled with the the melee stuff because of all you know all the stuff we mentioned already, but um, I think the magic works really really well. I think um, especially with uh, boss battles, just oh right you're weak to this, great I'll just spam that spell and um, move around to avoid your attacks, and it just becomes about finding your moment to uh, to unleash that uh, that that particular spell um and i like that you know there's there's more interesting stuff like being able to steal mp which means that you can uh, manage manage the magic of one cat the the sprite more effectively you go oh Oh look! It's one of the racist caricatures. Um, they tend to have uh, they tend to have more magic on them. So I'll, I'll take this opportunity to to steal some MP off of them. So I'm ready for for a more powerful encounter. Um, yeah, I, I I generally really really like the magic, and if I can use it without um, without uh, wasting it, uh, I will use it because I just found it more effective than uh, hitting people. One thing that I didn't appreciate at the time, because I knew no different, was something that I absolutely love about this game now, which is the fact that there aren't that many different inventory items, uh, you know, uh, recovery items or, or whatever else that you can carry with you. And in fact, you can only carry four of each type anyway. And the game is balanced around that. Um, but it, to me, again, it's it's a weird thing to talk, you know, this utterly fanciful, whimsical, heightened reality fantasy game. but it makes more sense to me to have a 
sack with like four items in of each kind than it does to the Final Fantasy thing where you've got 99 of 800 different kinds of potion and you never use them because you're worried about using them and it's all kind of a bit of a nonsense. Here, you go to a shop, you stock up on the stuff that you can carry and you take it into a fight and that little thing feels so good to me, feels so right, feels more authentic of a... I'm going adventuring scenario than even say The Witcher, where you can carry an insane amount of, you know, accoutrement. You're one um, of those people who likes playing inventory Tetris, aren't you? Well, I, I do. Yeah, <laughs> this is going to come up in in Resident Evil uh, shows to come as well. But um, I, it just feels like the thing about carrying eight thousand potions around with me just is always an immersion sapper. Yeah. Like I do it because the game kind of demands that you do it, or or my anxiety makes me feel that it does. But the idea of going into every fight with just a handful of each kind of item that you can carry, and you know that that will probably be enough to get you through, although you might you know, you know, might have to take a trip back to town, which is never that far. Um, I just really love it. It really cements the world for me. Or, I will... or Nico will be conveniently imprisoned for you halfway along the way. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there are those moments, yes. Uh, of course, we haven't mentioned uh, Neko, the cat, the cat salesman who, who I loved from, from the off. A pink cat who sells goods and occasionally will save your game. Yeah, uh, but again, as a Final Fantasy uh, stalwart, Leah, did, did, did this seem counterintuitive to you or did, did it work for the scenario that you were offered so it worked for the most part um i am i i am not somebody who generally likes to have to deal with a limited inventory space but i didn't feel that it was particularly oppressive except for one spot and it was the last boss because if you do not have any magic you cannot damage the last boss so i got there and i only had um i want to say i had two of the uh the mana items uh, fairy walnuts. Yes, fairy walnuts. Thank you. Um, I, I believe I only had two, and I got the boss down as far as I could, but then I ran out of magic on one of my characters, and there was just nothing else I could do. So I had right. to go back to my last save and th- go back in knowing that not, I was going to need more. Could Sprite not suck? Oh, you, but then that would only, only be You only got one it? point. So it costs one point to do that, and he only get one point out of him, or at least I did when I tried it. Uh, so probably yeah, wasn't leveled up enough. Yeah. So yeah, I think you can paint yourself into a corner. There. Yeah. That's so, definitely I mean, something. I, 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 it was not, uh, as you say, it was not actually that far from my last save. Um, I, I did end up having to go through, I probably all of the mana fortress again, yep. but yeah, knowing that yeah. that's can, good for leveling up. Though. Yeah. I mean, I, I backed out, I, I think halfway through so that I could restock and save and then oh, just okay. go back through. But that again, God forbid you ever want to run through an encounter because your idiot partners will will either not be able to follow you or they will insist on fighting things even if you have them set to not fight that much and yeah, yeah it I I generally I did not do that I I find I find in most JRPGs that uh running from encounters is almost never a great idea because then you just have to grind later on but um but here there were a couple of times where i was trying to get from one place to another very quickly and my teammates were not cooperating all that well (laughs) especially when paths get kind of windy and they just 
run into a wall because they think that they can get there if they just run real hard and believe and and that's not that's not gonna work that's yeah not... there's a certain amount of fiddling around with uh, yeah. swapping from whips to axes and stuff mm-hmm. to get around the environment as well blue weasel breath from the forum we had a little correspondence on this game although perhaps not as much as i was expecting uh says, I was almost nine years old when Secret of Mana was released in the US, and although I didn't play it at the time, I remember it being a big deal as far as console releases go. Because its graphics, sound, and scope were cutting edge for the time, the game was being covered in the tech section of general interest periodicals, along with PC games like The Seventh Guest and Myst, which were released around the same time, so that even people who were not following video games could potentially have heard of it. I distinctly remember my middle-aged father, who was interested in technology overall, but fairly apathetic to and ignorant of the goings-on in console gaming, asked me if I'd heard of it, presumably after he saw it mentioned in some newspaper he was reading. I also remember seeing a strategy guide for it, with that striking mana tree cover art in the electronics section of Walmart, shortly after the game's release. This was an era where strategy guides were not as omnipresent as they are now, and I remember being impressed that this game could have so much depth as to warrant a fat strategy guide. I recall thinking, man, this game is everywhere. I wish I had a Super Nintendo, but it was almost a decade later before I actually got to play it, and that was on a PC emulator. I found the game beautiful and the music great and enjoyed it overall, although I was initially confused about why I couldn't dodge the first boss's magic attacks. It took me some time, coming from a Zelda mindset, to realise that the combat held over more RPG elements than Zelda did. The main problem that the game has, which dulls the whole experience for me, is the magic system requires tons of grinding and going back to towns to restore. Whenever I have replayed it or think about replaying the game, the thought of grinding magic fills me with dread and boredom. I suppose grinding in a game is fine if you like to do it, but I don't like it when a game's design necessitates it. Not only is it tedious, but it pulls me right out of the game's narrative. While it makes sense that heroes would defend themselves against monsters while on a quest, proactively seeking out and murdering countless creatures for resources and experiences inconsistent with the characterisation of most JRPG heroes, including the boy, girl and sprite in this game. All they would have to do to fix this magic grinding issue, one tiny tweak that would have made the gameplay excellent enough to match the visual and audio experience, would have been to either make all enemies drop fairy walnuts much more frequently, as it is they're scarce and only come from certain enemies, or create an additional power-up that create that enemies commonly drop that refills magic points on the spot, like the magic potions in some of the Zelda games. This simple addition would have allowed the player to organically use, level up and constantly refill their magic in the course of the adventure, rather than having to halt the quest with the express purpose of grinding magic outside of a town, going to an inn to recharge and repeating the process ad nauseum. As it is, fairy walnuts are too rare and precious to use regularly replenishing magic points you've spent on levelling up your spells. You have to conserve magic and walnuts for boss battles. I know the development of the game was tortuous and it may not have gotten as much final polish as it deserved, but it's a shame that nobody on the dev team thought that such a basic fix was worth implementing. Um, I actually kind of disagree with that, mainly because I think with uh, Selfib, um, <laughs> the sprite, you, you do have the ability to kind of manage um, her MP on the field. I know it's not introduced until the maybe the second half of the game, um, but you do get, get the ability to suck MP out of people, and it doesn't cost that much to use it. Mm. And once you've leveled it up, you get a lot of MP out of... Um, out of uh, normal enemies and i felt like yeah once i had that ability it just became 
I, I just used magic all the time, and I kind of just naturally uh, leveled up a lot mm. of the spells because, hey, it wasn't costing me anything because I could just steal MP back from, from the enemies. So I don't remember grinding at all in my first playthrough, really, other than maybe... Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know the term grinding until probably the 2000s. Um, I remember saying to Brian on Sound of Play, my girlfriend at the time, she used yeah. to say she was going to the woods to practice her magic. I didn't see it as grinding. I just saw it as playing the game some more. And, I, you know. I, I do think it's more of a problem with um, uh, the girl, um, just because a lot of her attack spells are really expensive. Like the light magic um, spell is like 8 MP, and she doesn't have any way of stealing MP. So yeah. leveling up that, you know, that the light magic that she has um, can be a bit of a pain. Um, but like, honestly, I was only really using her as a healer. I, I barely used any of her other spells apart from constantly spamming. Um, uh, what, what's the spell called? The healing spell. Uh, it's like rain. Uh, life water, life water, water or something life, like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't feel like I needed to grind magic as much as I needed to grind actual XP for the character. I think most of my magics were up to level sort of five or six before the final uh encounters on on the mana fortress but uh but the ones that the magic uh elements that you get later in the game obviously do need a bit of work so i think i probably spent a, a grand total my my game was 25 hours long in total that's about par um and i probably spent three hours grind, grinding if you will but actually i enjoyed it rather than it being a complete slog like it has been in some of the low numbered final fantasies that we've already done but your mileage may vary and all that. I will say that um, while I don't necessarily think that that the magic needs to be uh, boosted as much as, as um, this first letter suggests, one thing that I think would have made it a little bit more palatable to me and I didn't I didn't do much grinding um, I did some but uh, again it was it was probably about what uh, what Leon you were saying um, my, my game time was similar uh, but when you level up as a character, your hit points refill, your magic does not. If they had made it so that your hit points and your magic yeah. points had both yeah. filled, I think mm -hmm. I would have liked that a lot more. That would have been great, yeah, because yeah. you could have just kept on kept on grinding, yeah. as it were. Yes, yep, for sure. But they didn't, uh, so, oh well. <laughs> no, and they haven't changed that in the remake either. Mm. Uh, yeah, we've mentioned multiplayer quite a bit. Uh, as I say, it's not something that I've ever... Uh, actively pursued uh, it was there you needed a multi-tap for the third player on the super famicom but a lot of people had one because things like bomberman were pretty big back in the day uh, you could play it on the wii virtual console version by plugging in old gamecube controllers or extra uh, extra classic controllers uh, the switch version i assume i don't know whether you have to hook up another uh, sync another joy con or you can use a classic controller something like that i guess that's three player the SNES Classic version, of course, by default only has two uh, two ports. But if you buy something like the Hyperkin controller, which is designed for attaching uh, original SNES controllers to a a Wii or a Wii U or or uh, or anything, you could put a multi tap on it and then hook up some SNES controllers. So that'll work. I want to mention Flammy because I love Flammy. I've always loved Flammy, and you get a Flammy drum. That mode seven, though. 
Yeah. Well, they had it and they were going to use it. <laughs> it sure is mode seven. Yes. Um, yeah. So f- <laughs> Fleming's a dragon. Uh, yeah. So you get to go to a world map. The world map in this game is mode seven. Um, I think we see some other mode seven world maps on the SNES, but this one is ve- is very mode seven. So I Again, I have I have nostalgia just for the look of it, but obviously it is very pixely. It looks like pilot wings, basically. There's a, there's a shot every time you summon Flammy, the adorable white dragon, uh, who dashes out of the sun uh, in with alacrity and, and whisks you off to wherever you want to go with the most fantastic left to right stereo panning sound effect. Um, when it zooms towards the camera in mode seven, <laughs> Flammy basically turns into like four gigantic pixels uh, <laughs> as, as it hits the screen. But I don't care because in my head, Flammy looks like the plushie that was in the manual. Um, and so I love Flammy. Brian, tell me you love Flammy. I am. I am a big fan. I'm a. I'm. I'm. A, I'm a fanny. <laughs> I, uh, I've heard I know, that. Just the worst. <laughs> kick me. Kick me off immediately. Um, no, I. I. I remember though. Uh, it's all nostalgia because now looking at it, obviously it's it's so pixely and so hard. But oh, yeah. at the time, I remember being blown away by it. Yeah. Three um, yeah, D world it, map was wow. Yeah. And you could, you could actually, go anywhere. You could go around the world. The world was spherical. I could I could go in a complete circle and get from and the I'd same forgotten. place I started. Sorry to interrupt. Did you notice, guys, that there's multiple modes for the map? There's like a there's like a further zoomed out one. There's an overhead one. There's an actual globe version of the map if you press yeah. different buttons when you're on the map screen. It's really <laughs> it's madness. Yeah, I, I I remember I remember being blown away. Now looking back on it, it's it's a uh, it's it, that's certainly all nostalgia because it is madness to try to find anywhere to try to land anywhere to try to know where the heck yeah. you are um but i remember uh the gaia's navel was the only place i could really find because it was these concentric circles that you could kind of focus okay this is where i am i think i have to go north but but visually at the time i thought it was just use your paper map yeah. definitely use your paper map there's a couple of excellent well i say excellent but there's a couple of nice secret locations there's a little island that you can go to that isn't there's a there's a couple of little easter eggs of uh like the 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 face on mars kind of things buried away in the textures and stuff um but yes i guess uh i mean we've been we've been playing these old final fantasies with either very 2d bit mapped looking maps or a bit of mode 7 on the um on the super nintendo but yeah this is this is all of the mode 7 isn't it speaking of which going to a little island a secret island this game i guess one of the things that got chopped out in the change of formats uh, was any side quests because <laughs> there's like two i think uh unless i've always i've missed something you can get a moogle belt uh by uh bringing water back to kakaro which involves going to a secret island going into a shop and saying all i've got for sale is this one thing and in fact you can have it and then you go back to the desert and say i got this thing and they go well hey water's back uh uh, and if you speak to one of the dwarves after a certain point in the game, you get the midge mallet. So these are both items that uh, eat, both create and cure status effects. Are there any more, Brian? Do you know? Uh, none that I know of. I was uh, in preparation for this. I looked, and yeah. the only ones I could find were those two. I I remember the world being filled as a kid with all these side paths and stuff. But no, I think that was probably more just an effect of me being lost. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, getting to places I shouldn't have been to yet, but but no, that, that was pretty much it. Yeah, it's pretty linear, um, and I would say there's some not dissimilar to other games that we we've been playing recently. But there are some kind of 
signposting issues just like where the heck am I supposed to go now if you haven't spoken to the right person in the right village and there's one bit the whole bit on the mountain with Jekt where he just keeps sending you on wild goose chases and you're supposed to go back and talk to him over and over again um, and you assume you think is this really right I'm sure I had no internet I had no guides or anything when I first played this I guess it was the same for you Brian um, I think we just worked it all out I think we just kept figuring it out I guess my girlfriend was ahead of me so I would say if I was lost, I don't remember this happening, but I'm sure it did saying I'm I've just been in this place for ages. And, and she may have said, oh, you know, try speaking to that guy again or this one guy who's in a village in the corner of a screen to progress the story. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. Going I remember on. The, the lofty mountains being incredibly hard to land on. I kind That's of right. knew where yeah. it was. And so yeah. <laughs> what I would just do, I would just get as close to the ground as I possibly could with Flammy and just spam the land button to see what I could, where I yeah, could go. And and mm. uh, sometimes you'd end up in the Mushroom Kingdom. Other times you'd end up, uh, uh, you know, where you're supposed to go. But yeah, there was definitely some progression barrier there. Seems to be normal uh, for the uh, for the time and for the the genre. But yes, that's kind of how video games were back then to an extent again. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, I only only looked up a couple of things so uh one little easter egg i mean why wouldn't you do this uh, when wielding a weapon hold down l and a on controller one then press r 39 times press l release l and a then press r again if successful you will see nas short for programmer nasir jabelli displayed on your character's weapon gauge so uh we're gonna very do a very brief tour um partly because I, I don't know if any of us have uh, any experience with any of these, but it's just worth sort of rounding them up. Um, as I say, there was one full-blown sequel, Seiken Densets 3, which came out in 1995, but never got translated officially into English. But there are ways of playing it. Um, I'm still curious to... I remember initial reports being that it was buggy, but I don't know if they released an updated version that removed some of the bugs. Brian, you said you at least dabbled, but not very far. Yeah, in college, I played it for a few hours. remember being being pretty into it. The fan translation was, was okay, serviceable. I didn't, I didn't feel lost at any time, but just got sucked away by something else. Probably took longer than 30 days over the fan translation as well. I would imagine, <laughs> yes. Uh, Legend of Mana. I remember this one existing, um, but again, I remember the reviews not being stellar enough to really excite me. It didn't come out in the EU either. So in 1999 in Japan and 2000 in America, Legend of Mana uh, with music by uh, Yoko Shimomura. Um, so it's probably worth experiencing. But uh, Brian, did you ever pursue this one? I uh, played a little bit with a friend of mine and I was at the time I was 17 years old. So it instantly wasn't the thing I loved. So I <laughs> Tossed it out and moved on because I knew okay. what I wanted in the world, but um, yeah, but no, didn't, didn't spend much time with it. It reviewed reasonably. It wasn't it wasn't a, a catastrophe. Uh, Rise of Mana came to uh, iOS, Android, and uh, Vita, 2014-15. Um, I know very little about it. Uh, it's only in Japanese again, which is the problem. And there was a side series uh, called World of Mana. Now, I remember all these coming out and being excited for each of them and then being disappointed when the reviews hit. So Children of Mana on the DS in 2006-7, Dawn of Mana on PS2, uh, same, same period, and Heroes of Mana on the DS followed those up. Each time I was thinking maybe... This will recapture the magic, but actually the, the reviews started at middling and, and kind of went down from there. So um, disappointing. I'm not sure why 
Square hasn't been able to recapture the magic or at least do something new and exciting and different with with its uh, with its second end sets legacy. Did any of those attract any of your attention at any point as JRPG players or fans of the series? I remember seeing them on the shelves when I was working at GameStop, but uh, other than that, I don't believe I ever actually got into any of them. No. Uh, so that's why this is a roundup and uh, to conclude it with this year's uh, Secret of Mana re-release almost 25th anniversary edition for PC, PS4 and Vita don't know why it's not on other machines I don't know if Sony put any money into it or whatever but there it is uh, we discussed it a while ago Brian and I on, on Sound of Play talking that we were concerned about the look of the graphics um, being kind of polygonized and chibified but somehow not retaining the charm to us obviously a subjective matter then we heard some of the music that had come out which sounded weird and brian you've now given it a crack yeah i've i've put some time into it um i i still despite the reviews and and everything i had read i i the nostalgia got the better of me i ended up buying it and uh, for my ps4 and it's it's as advertised it's not it's not I don't want to say anything's not good. It's just not, not. It's not my cup of tea. The the art style they took all the life out of it to me. Uh, my mm. favorite part about the art is that the there's a mini map in the screen now, and that mini map is the original art from the game as your ah. as your map. So, um, so I l- really like that touch. Um, That's the nice. music is. The music has been uh, has, has really been reworked and and in, in a bad way. My my wife was I was playing a little bit yesterday, and my wife at one point looked looked over and cringed. And she's like, "What is this music?" And I switched back as the option, oh. fortunately, to switch back to the original. Oh. I switched back to the other one. She's like, "God, this is so much better." And I'm like, "Yeah, I agree." So weird. Yeah, it's I mean, very strange. Weird decision. It's also very easy. I mean, which has actually been kind of nice for me. Like just well, change the chunks. But boy, I tell you, I um. In less than two hours, I had gotten uh, all eight weapons. I had gotten the first two pieces what? of magic. Um, yeah, truncated was version. Very, very much so. I mean, like, like level eleven. Um, I remember because I did it yesterday, defeating the fire gigas in like two or three hits. I mean, it taking almost no time at all. Weird. Um, yeah, very strange. Um, a, a lot of strange decisions. It feels somehow rushed, which I don't quite understand for a re. Like, I don't know. Mm. I, I don't know the the story behind it enough to comment nope. on its development, but Me neither. No, but yeah, it's a uh, boy. It's 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 rough. I I um I really really had um had high hopes for it, but uh, and the thing not to go on. I'll I'll be as brief as possible. They didn't even take out the 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 negatives from the first game. So no, the, right. your AI still gets caught on everything. <laughs> and, and somehow when you go to a shop, you know how all three characters kind of suck into one and then spread out at the shop counter. Yeah. You know, when you go, to, it, it does that, but it takes about three times as long because they're oh, all God. three dimensional wow. models now. So oh, it's a, it's a, it's a mess. What a shame. Yes. Yeah, it reviewed very middlingly uh, in terms of like actual 50%, five out of 10 kind of uh, range, which is, below most people's threshold for would pay any attention so yeah it's clearly only fans who are chancing their arm um <laughs> yeah oh well oh well uh 
Uh, Simon Sloth, in fact, says, I bought the remake to play on my Vita specifically for the podcast. Sorry about that, Simon. Having previously never had much interest in it. Having finished it, I still don't. The combat was repetitive and dull. The game seemed far too easy for the most part and the story was practically non-existent. The computer-controlled companions often stood idly by doing nothing, leaving me to spam magical attacks, which seemed to be the answer to every single encounter. The melee weapons often missed for no reason, which I understand is an RPG trope, but with real-time combat was so frustrating. It reminded me of bullets inexplicably missing from point-blank range in Fallout, but at least that game has other redeeming features. Some design choices, like having the shoulder buttons for shortcuts to magical attacks or items, was a great idea, as the menus were quite cumbersome. I doubt I would have persisted to the end without these in place. I remember finding one part particularly infuriating. Even more disappointingly, nothing was done to change it for the remake. The part I'm referring to was where you have to press a hidden wall switch to reach the Emperor. I'm historically quick to cheat when I get stuck with, uh, with my mental resolve crumbling in minutes, but the masochist in me made a New Year's resolution to resist this temptation. Overcoming challenge and adversity is a large part of enjoying video games, and some of my affection for the medium was being hampered by the ease in which we can see the solutions for any given game almost instantly. After an hour of tearing my hair out, I looked up the solution, and even then it took me a while. Maybe it's my colour blindness that made it more difficult, but the whole experience made me want to do a 360 on my resolution. I hope you know the bit I'm talking about. Um, I don't have the reference points which other contributors may uh, may have who comment on the different and inferior soundtrack. To my ears, the remake's audio was as forgettable as the game, and in all honesty, the only bit I will remember in years to come will be that stupid switch. <laughs> Sorry, Simon. Can't win them all. Magical Isopod, though, has uh, some slightly more positive things to say. This is a game I've always wanted to love, as the graphics and setting are positively charming. But unfortunately, I really feel that this game has not stood the test of time in any way. And quite bafflingly, the HD remake actually keeps most of the design choices that keep me from playing Secret of Mana to this day. Maybe not that positive then. Some of the music tracks are downright ear-piercing with their screeching reverb. The combat feels limp as soaked bread with its hit an enemy and wait several seconds before damage will apply again mechanic. And the story really feels like it doesn't go anywhere. I understand some of the fault this lies in translation, but it seems commonly accepted that the whole second half is a bit of a confusing mess. I've scarcely had a video game experience as infuriating as playing Secret of Mana with my then fiance and having my high damage attacks do no damage at all while a light strike from a non-playable AI character hits for two or three chip damage at priority. It's a poorly designed mess and Square Enix utterly dropped the ball in making a remake that should have fixed these glaring design flaws. For my money, I'd much rather play the superior Seiken Densets three ten times in a row than have to fight with Secret of Mana's infuriating design flaws. I'd also like to acknowledge Secret of Mana Animated Theatre, a web series from the late 90s and early 2000s that really got me into square RPGs to begin with. Without that series, I'm not sure I ever would have discovered the likes of Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy until much later in life. I knew there was something positive about that, <laughs> about that, that write-up. Thank you, Magical Isopod. Uh, we've also not had many three-word reviews, but at least they trend slightly more positively. Uh, let's start with Brian and Oodles. Oodles O'Quim says, not quite Terranigma. Bearfish Pie says, Manifest Destiny. I like that one, that's good. Chocho Camacho says, RPG Gateway Drug. Yeah, uh, good stuff. Uh, yes, Terranigma, obviously, we don't normally do this game is better than that game comparisons, but, you know, how often do you get to mention Terranigma? I just uh, installed that one on my SNES Classic Mini as well because I never bought it back in the day. 
Uh, that's for another time. That was NX rather than Square, just in case you're interested. Never came out in the US, did it? No, I don't think it did. Uh, it was a sequel to Illusion of Gaia, Illusion of Time, or Follower, yeah, which I loved. Jay, you can edit this out. Um, <laughs> I think, actually, I'm going to do just my hunch is that. So to summarise then in brief, would we recommend that people find and play Secret of Mana, either the original or maybe the remake or maybe not? Uh, <laughs> Let's see, Leah. Ah, so I I really wanted to love this game. Um, and I do think that there are things about it that that would recommend it. Um, I I I will say that I don't think that I can uh, that I can recommend that if you have not played this game previously, I don't think that I can recommend that you seek it out. Uh, maybe if you have a SNES classic and you are interested, uh, it's on there by default. So I, I mean, you, if you, if you feel like you would like to try it, then I, I don't think that it's a bad game. I just think that it is not quite polished enough for me not having any of the um, not having any of the nostalgia for it and having played so many other RPGs in the interim, some that do similar things, but maybe kind of farther along um, in in a development cycle or that had been given more time or that didn't have to face up to some of the difficulties of development or uh, translation or localization or what have you. Um, I... <laughs> I think, I think I just can't l overlook some of the things that made it a challenge for me to enjoy, uh, and that's a shame because I I really wanted to have the experience that many other people did. Uh, you wouldn't really know it from our correspondence this time around, no. but um, but I mean, listening to um, particularly um, Leon and Brian, you two, um, I I just. I, I really wanted to love this game and I just don't and I I, I hate that I don't but um, it's very pretty I, I will say that for it um, but uh, yeah I just it it is too frustrating for me with some of the limitations and uh, the the problems that I think that the gameplay has in in spots um, I, I it is there are I, I hate to make it a comparison thing, but there are better examples. And I'm not even just saying Final Fantasy. Uh, th I think that there are games that I would recommend well before this one that do some of the similar things that this is trying to do. And it's important in that it does a lot of these things before they were really things. And I, I think that it is important for that. But coming to it the first for the first time now, I don't think is an experience that I can really recommend. I'm sorry. Fair. That's okay, Leah. <laughs> it's fair enough. Uh, entirely fair. And not entirely unexpected, I have to say, uh, from my point of view. Josh, uh, I think you enjoyed it slightly more than Leah overall. Yeah, I, I think me and Leah are pretty much on the same page, except I just overall ended up more positive than you. Um, I, I think for me it's the aesthetic stuff. I think that's what elevates it for me. 
Um, I love the visuals, uh, specifically the original visuals. Um, I'm, I'm, I can't really... I, I haven't played it, but just based on the screenshots and uh, video footage I've seen, um, I really don't think people should play the remake. <laughs> I just think it saps away. It saps away so much of the personality and charm that the um, the original aesthetics have, and um, I, you know the music as well is a big part of that. Um, and I, I really, I just genuinely, really, really love that stuff. Um, I, I think it's it's really top top you know top tier um and some of the best i've seen from this from this era of uh, video games um the same can't be said for the combat um i really really struggled with it um again i'm gonna do that thing where i compare it to other games but like chrono trigger was maybe two years after this and i feel like as as frustrating as it is to go in and out of you know um uh different screens with final fantasy i think chrono trigger discovered the more elegant solution to that is you can have the turn-based combat and all of that you just don't need to change the screen it's just the same screen and you just carry on once the fight's uh over and that for me is the you know personally speaking that's the ideal scenario for me is that smooth transition from uh traversal to combat um here it just it feels like a game moving towards something that i think could be brilliant but in its current form isn't quite there yet there're just too many things that need polishing that need smoothing out for me to love it so ultimately um like would i recommend it i think i would actually recommend it i i think the 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 stuff that it does in terms of visuals and just in terms of the tone um like i don't think that there is any other jrpg of this era well i i say that and somebody will point out one um but for in my ex personal experience i haven't seen a jrpg from this era that quite has the kind of childlike whimsy and tone that this does so um yeah i i don't i don't love it um but i think it does enough positive that I can just about look over its um, quite severe flaws. Thank you. I do love it. I still do love it. Um, as I say, I think my peak of nostalgia was actually some time ago with it, but I'm not going to deny that the fact that I played this first in 1994, age 22, and it was the first game of the genre, even though it tried some different things and all that kind of stuff is not relevant because, of course, it is. Uh, going back to it, though, um, rather than... Uh, I kind of what I was thinking was, having <clears throat> played uh, three Final Fantasies already this year and actually feeling, yeah, a little bit jaded by some of the tropes of, of those games and obviously bearing in mind that we were going back to the earliest examples of that series as well... Um, Whereas Secret of Mana in 1994 kind of inspired me to go off and try lots of other games in the genre and had a great time with uh, a whole bunch of games, some more similar than others, um, but it certainly put me on the path of playing classic JRPGs. This time it's actually kind of re-sparked, reinvigorated me for playing more Final Fantasy because it reminded me of just how much of a sense of fun and adventure I can get out of a... Uh, of a 16-bit looking 
RPG. But that said, yeah, I don't expect um, necessarily Final Fantasy V to kind of fill me with the same kind of light and love and beauty that this game actually does. There were points where I was, you know, very much, uh, you know, kind of grinning from ear to ear while playing this game, um, despite its rough edges and, and obvious needs uh, for refinement um, but it certainly got me really looking forward again not that I wasn't already but to carrying on with the Final Fantasy series and particularly playing the game that I was desperate to play the first time I played Secret of Mana which was Final Fantasy 3 or 6 and I still haven't played it so I've still got that to look forward to so here we are uh, back to the future 25 years ago I've just played Secret of Mana I'm grinning and I now want to play uh, the biggest uh, 16-bit Final Fantasy there is around. So, uh, But yeah, if you've got a SNES Classic or you've got Wii Virtual Console, I do recommend you check this out because it might just be that the music and the art uh, suck you in and make you feel as warm and delirious as it does me and there, then you'll be able to perhaps get past some of the the problems with the uh, the old gameplay. And let's conclude with Brian. Uh, I'm going to mirror a lot of things that you said, Leanne, but um, I just went replaying this game recently over the last year or so. I, I couldn't help but think about how the development of this game and the way the game is structured, whether directly or was part of the kind of the change of the times, influenced the way that kind of RPGs would eventually go to where now essentially every action game is an RPG and every RPG is an action, action game. Yeah. It's very rare to find one that isn't somehow a blend with the other. Totally. And I think I think this is the the first game I played that really... Um, opened up that world to me of RPGs. Um, I, I This is one of the first RP, uh, JRPGs I had played, and I played Final Fantasy VI and, um, and other things, like even like Super Mario RPG came after this for me. And this was kind of my entry into that world. And just it, the game, it just fills me with such happiness when I... When I when I start to play and, and it sounds so, it fills me so happy is when I finally get banished from my hometown and I'm <laughs> out in the world and hearing that music hit and just seeing the like you said the color palette the animation and then the story becomes now for me is much more of a personal story of my history with the game I'm not playing the game anymore um, I'm I'm looking at it through rose colored glass I'm not playing it anymore for the story as much as I'm playing it for my own personal enjoyment and for my nostalgia. Um, that being said, I still think it's a it's a it's a really good action RPG. The the combat gets frustrating. There's some things about the AI that can really stymie some progress. But I I think that for someone who has a history and or an interest in the genre at all, should really um, I couldn't recommend it enough. And I would I would hate myself if I didn't take this opportunity. I I think this for me personally, it's the best video game soundtrack ever. It's my personal favorite. You can't can't attribute greatness to something that's subjective but it for me personally it, it doesn't get any better than secret of mana and, and and playing through the game whether it was now or in 1994 is still just a utter delight for me wonderful words well thank you everybody that's a good spread uh, it's been an interesting conversation uh segueing between final fantasies four and five as the game did as i say if you want to hear what we thought of chrono trigger you'll have to go back and seek out uh, issue 166 that's what i said yeah so it remains for me leon to thank josh leah and brian as well as our correspondents even if you're all mean about secret of manor editor jay and all of you for listening uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast please do remember to subscribe to it you could rate it or review it 
We haven't had many of those for a while, not in the UK at least. Best of all, though, support us with a dollar or more if you like. Patreon.com slash You get every single one of these shows a week earlier than non-subscribers. You get our single format specials three months earlier. Currently, our Genesis Mega Drive show is out there if you donate a dollar. And that exclusive monthly mini podcast with me and Jay. Next time in issue 330, it's all aboard the Ecliptic Express for our Resident Evil Zero podcast. (laughs) 